0: Hi, I'm Brian.
1: And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies,
0: a podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it.
1: Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies.
0: Well, hello, and welcome to episode number one hundred of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here, as always with Michaela. Uh, as always with Michaela, for a hundred times now, triple digits, we did it. Congratulations to us. Congratulations to us.
1: Uh, I'm so excited. I can't believe we've done that many movies. That means we've done a hundred different movies. We've done almost like 200 different drinks. If you count all the lobby bar drinks. And of course, all the extras we've done. We've done a lot of drinking, a lot of movie watching, a lot of talking. This has been an amazing (laughs) couple of years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It has been. I uh, I did not have 100 episodes envisioned when we decided to start this, you know, a couple years back, but here we are 100 episodes later uh, and feeling fine. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for uh, joining us along this journey. And today we have something uh, pretty special in store for everyone because we are wrapping up uh, Halloween spooky movie month. Uh, with one of the all-time greatest films of all time, Silence of the Lambs. We're very excited to talk about it. Uh, But before we get into the movie, before we get into this week's cocktail, uh, we're going to need an extra cocktail because this weekend... Is Halloween, trick-or-treating. Well, technically, Halloween is on a Monday, which is the worst if you're a kid. You have to go to school on a Monday and then go trick-or-treating. Lame, super lame. But that's that's the world that we live in this year. But, Michaela, you and your family are going to go trick-or-treating. You're going to get all the candy, and then you're going to go back to your house. And you're going to have an awesome cocktail for everyone. Uh, Maybe me. Maybe I'm just going to, like, crash your house while you're out uh, getting all the candy and drink all your drinks. But what are we drinking? Halloween night.
1: We are going to drink this cozy maple pumpkin bourbon cocktail with some apple cider in it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be very festive. And it's also going to have one of your favorite things in it, which is bourbon. So Mm. uh, I'm super excited. It's going to be really pretty because we're going to rim the glass with some pumpkin spice and cane sugar and so that's going to make it uh, even more beautiful. But this is going to be special because it has three teaspoons of pumpkin puree in it. Now, before you freak out, (laughs) see, I've seen that look. Don't freak out on me because it actually is going to go really well because we're going to use three tablespoons of apple cider. Um, If you don't want it too sweet, go ahead and just do two tablespoons of apple cider and one tablespoon of water, but we're going to do it all because it's going to emulsify with the pumpkin puree and it's going to make it actually really nice and give it a very like whole, wholesome mouthfeel. Trust me. Um, And the way we're going to cut that super pumpkin-y taste that might not be your favorite because it's very pumpkin-y since it's pureed is we're going to use two tablespoons of maple syrup. And then of course, as much bourbon as you want. Now, The original recipe calls for an ounce and a half. We're going to do like two to two and a half ounces because that's just how we roll at Drink the Movies. And then uh, a dash of orange bitters. So you're going to put all of that stuff in a shaker. You're going to shake it up really nice. It's got to be very, very cold because you want that emulsification to happen between the maple syrup and the pumpkin puree and the apple cider. Okay. And the bourbon, of course. And then you're just going to put it in your rimmed glass and you're going to drink it. And it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to serve this to you. uh, If you do uh, come over and have some of my son's candy, (laughs) which you should do because I need him to not eat at all. So please do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that sounds delicious. Uh, it would be well worth trading a couple packets of candy corn for that. If you're into that, uh, candy swap sort of game, as we all were when we were kids to make sure you get the best stuff And this sounds delicious. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. I am looking forward to, uh, trick or treating. I always like, uh, doing it, you know, buying, buying the bag of candy. You have to, you have to play it right, right? You have to get the bag of candy that you like in case kids don't take it all. So that way all your leftovers is good for you. That's why I'm uh, going with the uh, fun size Milky way. I'll probably do some of the Reese cups. Uh, Uh, That'll be delicious. So uh, mix up one of these uh, Halloween night cocktails. Let us know. What Halloween night cocktail uh, you're going to be having, and you can do that because we've got a couple of new places for you to connect with us. Uh, we recently started a Discord server, uh, so you can come on there, chat all things movies and cocktails and uh, TV shows, uh, everything. Just a lot of fun there. So check the link in the description for that Discord server, um, and you can join our newly launched. Uh, we talked a little bit about it in the lobby bar this week, but our Patreon. We have a Patreon now, Michaela. It's very exciting. Going to be is doing a lot exciting. of. Going to be doing a lot of bonus stuff on there, bonus episodes, um, bonus cocktails, uh, hangouts, all sorts of stuff. So you can get the details for that on our uh, Patreon page. Uh, Links in the description, of course, down below. It's patreon.com slash drink the movies. So go check it out. We hope that you will see something you like there and join us as we make more movies and more cocktails. But, uh, you know, we're not done for today. We have an amazing movie and a really good cocktail to talk about. So why don't we take a quick break and we will be right back to mix up this week's libation. So
1: this week, we're taking our Chianti, we're taking some fava beans, we're headed to the Baltimore State Forensic Hospital for the Criminally Insane, and we're going to mix up a really, really dashing cocktail <laughs> called Hello Clarice, which, fun fact, you know, he actually never says that in the film. He says good that, evening.
0: That is true. Yeah, he uh, he, does, he does not say uh, Hello Clarice. That's one of those things that everyone... You know, things happens, but uh, it definitely doesn't happen. It's kind of like uh, Luke. I'm your father uh, in Star Wars. He doesn't say that. Oh, so, yeah. One of those uh, movie things that everyone just remembers incorrectly. Uh, but we're going with it anyway. Hello, Clarice. It is a it is a classic movie line <laughs> that never happened, but it is a classic drink. and We're going to be drinking it today. Uh, it comes from Quantro.com, uh, as all good things tend to do. And this one, of course, is going to include some Quantro. So let me run through this uh, recipe here for everyone real quick. And then Michaela's is going to talk to you about how we put it together. But you're going to need three quarters of an ounce of Cointreau, one and a half ounces of rye whiskey, uh, three quarters of an ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice, a dash or so of Angostura or aromatic bitters. And uh, then to top it off, you're going to use a half an ounce of your Chianti to float on top and give it this really cool effect. And it just changes the uh, taste of the drink a little bit.
1: It does. Now, a word about the rye whiskey that we use we used a really nice rye whiskey. You don't have to. Um, It was also very high proof. So I think in the future, if you're going to do this and you want to get the best bang for your buck, don't do what we did. Get something that's maybe medium proof.
0: Yeah, we use, it's like a barrel strength uh, rye whiskey, uh, just because that's kind of what we had uh, left around to use. I would definitely not do that. I would, uh, you know, recommend doing something like a like a bullet rye or something like that, you know, kind of middle of the road that you're going to want to use um, in a cocktail, especially if you're putting it up with uh, something like Cointreau, uh, which is its own very strong flavor. You definitely don't want to use something, you know, super high end in it uh, like we did. So, so heat our advice, but uh, you know, this orange and this rye flavor, it comes together really good.
1: It sure does. And so what you're going to do is, um, you are going to add the Cointreau, the whiskey, the fresh lemon juice and the bitters to a shaker with some ice. You're going to shake that sucker and then you're going to strain it into a very chilled cocktail glass. And, um, and then you're going to do this cool bar spoon trick that I'm really horrible at. And, uh, we Mm -hmm. took a video of it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, I, I, am still learning this, this piece, but you're going to hold the bar spoon facing up, um, the back of the bar spoon facing up. So really facing down, I guess is the right way to say it just above the cocktail surface. And that's where you're going to pour your half ounce of Chianti. Um, So it just gives it this really beautiful, like blood red look on the top. It's very spooky looking for the scariest movie of all time. And uh, it's actually really delicious. Um, I definitely think that we benefited from doing a second round with a lower proof Mm -hmm. rye whiskey, um, I wasn't thinking about that at all. And I should have been when we were deciding which whiskey to use. Um, the important thing is that we use Quantro from the Quantro <laughs> website. Yes. So make sure you use that, but, okay. um, pick any rye whiskey you want. Just, uh, it's, it's going to eat up that acidity. It's going to be really, um, acidic if it's too, if the alcohol level is too high. Yeah, rye, for sure. So. For
0: sure. But, uh, rye whiskey has this really nice spice to it. And yeah, it really pairs well with that Cointreau with the orange, uh, kind of flavor of that and you know the acid from your from your lemon there it's really delicious and then that Chianti just gives it like this kind of like smack of like dryness right on top which helps to kind of cut through that sweeter uh orange flavor um Chianti is a really delicious wine it's fairly inexpensive you can get just a like a regular Chianti but I always uh go up a level to get like a Chianti Classico which is you can usually get for like I don't know like five or six dollars uh more uh it's a really perfect wine it is a perfect food wine um Obviously, it goes really well with Italian food, but I definitely get that. It probably goes well with fava beans, I guess. Apparently, that's what Dr. Lecter told us. So uh, I would believe him because he can throw a dinner party for sure, for sure. But this drink was pretty good. It looked awesome. Uh, So definitely want to give it a try out there.
1: Yes, you do, because it's amazing. Uh, But what is even more amazing is this film. We here at Drink the Movies, we knew the 100th episode was going to be, uh, on one hand, really special for us. But on the other hand, just another day in the life. And uh, and it it happened to fall uh, right at Halloween. And I thought we should do the scariest film of all time, which oddly enough, doesn't have like razor hands (laughs) or hockey masks or ghosts
0: it does it does have a face mask of an actual face which is pretty scary i will say but but yeah we were talking about one of the all-time classics one of the greatest films one of my favorite movies of all time this week so why don't we take a quick break we will take our chianti we will take our quantro and we will be right back to chat about this week's film silence of the lambs you spook
1: easily starling
0: not yet sir he's past the others
1: the last cell i'll be watching You'll do fine. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head.
0: Thank you, Clary.
1: Thank you. Spoiler warning for Silence of the Lambs. If you've not yet seen this film, you should literally stop what you're doing, which is listening to this. You should go right now and get it. It's on like Amazon Prime, and I think it's free. Go watch it. Don't uh, Bringing any kids uh, to watch it that's a bad idea but go watch it because it's amazing and wonderful and we're going to talk about all the things we're going to talk about the huge twists and turns at the end and so there's a ton of spoilers if you've not yet seen it and you don't want to know all of the amazingness please do yourself a favor go make yourself a hello Clarice go watch this film and then come back and then we're going to chat about it on our 100th episode
0: uh, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if you've not seen it, you've had plenty of time because uh, it is uh, 31 years old, I guess, now, uh, released in 1991. It was directed by Jonathan Dem and it stars Jody Foster as the young, plucky FBI trainee, Clary Starling, and Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, as the murderous psychiatrist, Dr. Hannibal Lecter.
1: And this film did super well. Uh, this is one of three fun fact you probably know this, Brian. This is one of three that uh, one the top five or the big five, right? So it's one best picture, it won best director, it won best actor, it won best actress, it won best screenplay. And I think I'm missing something.
0: <laughs> and and it won best film. Uh you so a best film. <laughs> you're, did you're I so say best picture. <laughs> you're uh you you might have I don't I don't know. I don't know for sure. I don't but, know. I can't uh, count. Yeah. This one, it did. This one it won uh, all the things. That's right. Yeah. It, it definitely won all the things. It was nominated for seven, but it won five, uh the big five uh best picture, uh best uh, screenplay best director best actor best actress um, for sure there for Anthony Hopkins and uh, Jodie Foster so uh, yeah really well received It did lose two sound and film editing uh, but what are you going to do if, if you're going to win five you want to win the big five and that is exactly what it did um, Silence of the Lambs was based on a book by Thomas Harris um, and it is not the first Dr. Lecter film that we had Michaela we had Manhunter uh, which came out in 1986 uh, and that was released on kind of the the predecessor novel of Silence of the Lambs, uh, Red Dragon, which we got a, another film of uh, later. Um, uh, kind of in, in this, this mm-hmm. more line. But, but Manhunter in 1986 uh, did not do particularly well.
1: No. And uh, this uh, they, they Silence of the Lambs did do very well, though. And so they decided to try and milk that for all it was worth and do Hannibal, uh, which is after, which also did not do particularly well in the box office. It had some big names. Um... Anthony Hopkins reprised his role as Hannibal Lecter, but, uh, you know, um, Clary Starling was uh, Julian Moore. And I, I think Jodie Foster uh, saw the writing on the wall there and was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And it was probably a good good choice because um, it did not do particularly well, although it's, it, it is very terrifying, um, basically because Hannibal Lecter is one of the most scariest uh, creatures on earth. Uh, there's only one person scarier than that is
0: Buffalo Bill, who's the one that they're trying to find. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is uh, that is what we're trying to find as we go through the movie. So let's uh, get into the movie a little bit here and then we'll talk about kind of the legacy of Silence of the Lamb. So this film opens up. It is really nice. It is somewhere outside of Quantico, Virginia. Uh, the movie tells us we are running through the woods and we are coming in uh, kind of on the back uh, side of a girl running through the woods wearing a gray sweatsuit. Uh, we're going to find out that this is Clarice Starling and she is an FBI uh, agent in training. That's right. And you, you looking at this, uh, one of the things that
1: I really love about this opening scene is if you're not paying attention or if you haven't seen it before, you might think she's actually running away from something because the score is super haunting. I Very haunting, am yeah. totally incredulous as to why it wasn't even nominated for best score. Okay? Don't understand that at all. Beauty and the Beast nominated for best score. And I think that's what won this. This totally is the most terrifying score ever. You think she's running away and being chased by someone. And then you realize she's just doing this obstacle course that's in the middle of a forest. And that makes you feel a little better. And then somebody is like, runs after her and says, Hey, Mr. Crawford wants to see you. And she seems to know who that is. And then she goes through the rest of the forest into this uh, academy. That is the FBI Academy. And we find out that she's a student and she's going through all these really crazy places where They're doing gun training and they're loading things and then they're doing other weapons stuff and they're doing the like hand to hand combat. And she's going through all these places and she ends up in uh, Jack Crawford's office. Jack Crawford is played by the amazing Scott Glenn. And I love this, the opening scene, because you really without with like three lines, because there's maybe two sentences between the two of them. At the in the first two minutes, you really learn so much about who Clarice Starling is and what she's doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. It sets it up really well. And like you said, she is going into the uh, building there um, to meet uh, Jack Crawford. And as she's going in, she goes into... Uh, uh, Jack Crawford's office there, and she's looking at the uh, kind of pin board, and it has all of these newspaper clippings and uh, photos and things of our serial killer, uh, our antagonist of this film, uh, Buffalo Bill. So she's kind of taking all of this in. When Jack Crawford comes in and says, "Clarice, uh, you're a really good student. Uh, you can you can do all of the uh, psychiatric uh, profiling kind of things, and that's who we need because we need someone to go talk to uh, Dr. Lecter. Uh, we're putting together kind of this uh, workbook uh you know profiling serial killers and." trying to get inside of their minds and uh, dr lector has not been very receptive to helping out any one of us but uh maybe you'll you can take a crack at him and you know it's it's not really going to cost us anything if he blows you off too so you're just a student so why don't you go down uh to Baltimore or up to baltimore and see what they've got going on and that is what clarice does she heads on up to the uh hospital. And she is going to meet with uh, Dr. Frederick Chilton, uh, who maybe gives her kind of a creepy, creepy welcome to a a creepy place.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, And if you've seen if you've seen the movie and you've read the book, you see some very subtle differences, um, between their relationship. She is a much kinder, uh, Clarice Starling and she is much more amenable to Dr. Chilton in the movie than in the book. Um, Dr. Chilton is played by Anthony held. He's awesome in this because you don't like him immediately. At least I didn't. Um, and you grow to really hate him for a lot of other reasons, but he kind of hits on her, um, in a way that I guess then wouldn't be that annoying because it was like the 90s, early 90s. But I-, I was still very, I was like, this is totally unprofessional. What are you doing, dude? And um, one thing he does do though, is he's hes walking her down into what looks like a chamber of death. I don't know <laughs> how this is a real thing. Some I, I've been trying to find um, more information about where exactly this particular scene was filmed because it really does look, like a dungeon that they're walking down into and dr chilton is briefing clarice starling on what he sh- she should and should not do in dr Lecter's presence because dr Lecter might seem like a very reserved uh polite individual but he is a psychopath and a complete monster and he will he will get inside um her head now frederick chilton is not the first person to warn her about this dr uh Mr. Crawford has also, Jack Crawford has also told her, just look, just ask him the questions. If he doesn't answer, just walk away. Um, But the production design in this particular piece is amazing because (laughs) she's going down a bunch of stairs. He's like showing her a picture of someone that he completely destroyed. And you don't see the picture, but they explain that, you know, all the things that happened to her. And it's enough. It's enough to terrify you. And you haven't even seen Hannibal Lecter yet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So she's going down into this, uh, this dungeon of terror for sure is what it looks like. Like you mentioned, um, and she's going to, uh, she's going to meet Barney, uh, who's kind of there. He's kind of the. Uh, I guess the head of uh, security for this wing of the uh, hospital. He's played by Frankie Faison, uh, super sweet guy. He's really nice. He's like, you can hang your coat up here. You know, I put a chair out for you. You'll do fine. Uh, I love Barney. Barney is the best. Um, but, you know, who is not the best? That is Migs. Uh, he says something very inappropriate to our dear Clarice as she's walking by. Um, and uh, Hannibal doesn't take too kindly to that, of course. But, you know, she goes in and they're having their little interaction. You get, you know, kind of this iconic uh, image, right, of Anthony Hopkins standing behind this uh, big, thick, like plexiglass wall. Uh, It looks amazing. And she's there. They're having their banter. Um, And just immediately you're, you're seeing uh, why these two, one best actor and best actress, because it's incredible. Kind of this back and forth that they have, Um, you know, really, really pretty fantastic stuff. And it kind of ends with her asking him kind of clumsily to fill out this uh, form uh, to which he says no, uh, but then when she's leaving, mig does something even more inap- <laughs> more inappropriate uh, than, you know, just saying something uh, to which Dr. Lecter takes uh, great offense to. He says, you know, that's that's unacceptable. I will uh, do this for you, Clarice. If you do something uh, for me, I'm going to help you out. I will throw you a bone. I will help make your career. I will help make Jack Crawford see you for the rising star that you are. Uh, but you have to do uh, kind of these things for me uh, in sort of a quid pro quo, as we're going to get later in the, in the film. But he gives her a tip, and she is off to the right.
1: That's right. Um, now Clary Starling's pretty smart. Um she she doesn't scare easily, and that that's what she at least says at the beginning of this film is that you know, she really wants to work with Jack Crawford in behavioral sciences when she graduates. Um, so she wants career advancement. And this banter between her and Dr. Lecter is it's very intense. Their chemistry, if you will, is absolutely amazing to watch in these really close cut scenes where even through the plexiglass, you get this beautiful view of Clarice Starling who's looking right at you. And then in the reflection, you see um, Dr. Lecter's face and they, they, it feels like they're not, they don't have this glass between them. Uh, And the things that they're saying to each other are pretty intense. I mean, he really sizes her up as, you know, a, Uh, one generation away from quote, poor white trash. And, you know, she really has tried to move on. And, and at first you don't think that she's bothered by that, but as she leaves, you see her really kind of break down at her car before she gets inside and you have some flashbacks. So let's talk a little bit about who Clarice Starling is, um, you know, and what we come to find out over the course of the film.
0: Yeah, that's right. So Clarice was kind of, orphaned i guess it was and uh ends up living with her family and kind of is her ambition then um after leaving her adopted uh kind of aunt and uncle uh to join up with the fbi and uh you know hannibal lecker kind of immediately susses this out of her and he really wants to drag this up because you know dr lecker was a psychiatrist that's what he did and he's uh long been the smartest person in the room um and i think that one of the things uh, that's really neat kind of about their characters is that she was um kind of emotionally intelligent enough with him to kind of hold his attention um and he says that later in the film as as the film's closing that the world is far more interesting uh with her in it which um is a really great line and you see that sort of kind of quote-unquote relationship between the two sort of blossoming uh through the film and it starts here in this first section where he you know he really is kind of uh being triumphant in the fact that that she's here because at first he kind of blows her off right he's like oh he sent a trainee to talk to me and then when she finally starts talking he's like oh, okay okay and kind of settle into it and then like i said she kind of clumsily asks for this thing which which kind of throws him off but you know he he feels a little bit protective of her i think almost in a way um yeah. you know especially uh, when Miggs does does what he does and obviously that's going to uh to cost migs uh later that yeah. night as we find out so yeah so
1: dr Lecter takes no prisoners legitimately he um he doesn't, he doesn't hold uh, or keep any mementos of his victims. He just kills them. And when he can, he eats them, which is why they called him Hannibal the cannibal. Um, and she's not allowed to get anywhere near him. No humans are allowed to get anywhere near him unless he has like the original hockey mask. It's like, it's, it's like they, they saw this film and then uh, Friday the 13th folks were like, I got a great idea. Let's give that one to Jason. Um because he is uh, very powerful with his mouth. But apparently he he really did not like the way Miggs handled that whole situation. And so he spoke to him and he ended up, uh, Miggs ended up swallowing his own tongue. Um, which mm. sounds, I don't even know how you can do that on your own. Um, but anyway, he did it. And yep. poor Clarice, you know, she gets a call from Jack Crawford with this. And she says, I don't know how to feel about it. And at the end of the day, you know. Hannibal Lecter did this to amuse himself because he didn't think that it was appropriate uh, what he had done and it was really gross and it wasn't it wasn't I don't know if it means someone should die, Um, but it gives you the idea of the protectiveness he kind of feels around uh, Clarice Starling.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And like I said, he gives her kind of a tip to uh, carry on with this with this mission. He, you know, wasn't going to give her anything. He kind of ends up uh, relenting and tells her to look into one of his former patients, which is going to lead her to a self storage facility. Uh, This is a bad idea, kids. Uh, Even if you are in training for the FBI, especially if uh, you're living in a time where there's no cell phones, don't crawl underneath the self storage uh, uh, door that's going to just slam shut behind you. Uh, That's going to be a bad idea, but she's going to do it anyway because she is willing to do whatever it takes to get to the bottom of this, to uh, get to the bottom of the Buffalo Bill case, and to really get inside of the head of Dr. Lecker. So she goes in there. It's amazing. The set design inside of this little storage area is awesome. There's a car in there, and there's something real creepy in that car.
1: Yeah. It's like a hearse. There's like a, a decapitated uh, mannequin in a dress. There's a lot of really interesting, creepy things, and then there's this Look, I don't know. It's a thing. It's got a, it looks like a jar and it's got a cover on top of it. She picks that off and there's a head in the jar and the head looks real bad. And then you realize upon (laughs) looking at it, a head
0: in a jar looks real bad, correct? Yeah. It it, it always looks like
1: it. (laughs) It just, it (laughs) looks, stop it. It looks really bad, but. You don't realize, I mean, at first it's like, is it all bruised? Like, is the face bruised? What it why is why does it look the way that it looks? And then you realize that it's got a lot of makeup on. There are fake eyelashes on this head. Um, and at least I did. Uh, that's where I went. And so, of course, you know, this really starts the relationship uh between Clarice and Hannibal Elector because she has to go back and um She goes she goes back over the course of a few different times to try and talk to Hannibal Lecter. Why did why did he choose her and why did he send her on this kind of wild goose
0: chase? Yeah, she is going back to see him. Dr. Chilton is uh, feeling a little a little threatened, I think, by Clarice and her ability to talk to Dr. Lecter because that's not something he's been able to do. You know, being a psychiatrist, I guess. Uh, himself, So she, he's feeling a little bit threatened. Uh, she goes back. One of my favorite lines um, in this, he's kind of talking to her about the way that she felt. And, you know, she takes it as being kind of crass. And she says, that sounds like something that Miggs would say. And he just looks at her and says, not anymore. Because, uh, yeah, he made him uh, swallow his own tongue the night before. But I really like this. And we kind of learned that Dr. Lecter is like, I've been um, in this prison cell for, I, I remember, it was like eight or nine years, something like that. He's like, I'm never going to see the outside again. All I really want is to be able to have a window, With a tree and Clarice gets kind of this idea in in her head that if she promises him that he can get transferred out of this uh, mental institution, this uh, mental hospital uh, and put into like a maximum security prison, maybe they could get him into a room with a window. Uh, And Dr. Lecter is going to take her bait a little bit. He's meeting her more than halfway. I don't think you really thought that she was going to be able to get him into this uh, other prison. Uh, but that's kind of the deal that they make. He agrees to uh, kind of help her with Buffalo Bill, um, and she's going to agree to try to get him transferred out of here. And yeah, that's that's kind of where uh, their relationship ends on the uh, pursuit here of Buffalo Bill for the time being. So, Michaela, let's talk a little bit about Buffalo Bill. Uh, we're keeping up with him a little bit throughout this thing.
1: Yeah. So in the opening sequence, when she goes to meet Jack Crawford for this assignment to go do this questionnaire, um, she sees a wall. And- Again, the score is amazing because it's so haunting as the pan, as the camera's panning along this wall of all of these crime scene photos and different news articles. So, and Buffalo Bill is the name that they've given this serial killer who is active and, you know, alive around this area. And he's so far killed five women. Uh, We end up finding a sixth uh, during the course of the film, but he's so far um he has abducted them we don't know much about it other than the forensics right so and he shoots them at well he keeps them alive for a couple days then he shoots them and then he what he does is remove certain areas of their skin again not for children and we're going to get into more of that those bad choices later um but you see a lot of the depravity around this serial killer and Clarice Starling has spent a lot of time, uh, given her pa- past and given the fact that her father was a police officer, like she wants to really help in this way. And so she asks Jack Crawford outright, does this, you know, questionnaire have anything to do with Buffalo Bill? And he's like, no, it it doesn't. Um, but come to find out, um, it actually does. And she's a little upset with Jack Crawford by, by not being in on it. But Jack saying that, you know, because he has a long history with Hannibal Lecter, that he would never have um, succumbed to Clarice's, you know, charms if he, if she had been in on it from the start. And so what we find is that he has an idea of who and what uh, is really driving this behavior that Buffalo Bill is, is, uh has to kill all these women and so he says i'll offer you you know my insights on and i want to see the case file but i want something else in return and that's why it becomes this really quid pro quo because not only does he want to see these you know uh, the sky and some water and not be in a room that looks like a dungeon out of the renaissance okay but he also wants to know more about clarice which is Definitely not ethical. It's definitely not something that you would ever do uh, in the real world. Um, But she seems very desperate. She really uh, wants to help solve this crime. And we also see that it's having very real effects because every day that they don't find him, he is outscoping another person.
0: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So every day uh, this stakes are uh, serial killer. Buffalo Bill is going to be, uh, you know, doing more damage out in the world. And that's uh, kind of what we see. Right. So we see uh, Buffalo Bill, um, a.k.a. James gum, Jamie gum played by Ted Levine. Um, amazing. But he's kind of he's in like this van trying to get a couch put into the back of it he has his arm like and like a sling or in a in a cast sort of a thing um you know and he uh sees a young woman uh catherine martin played by brook smith kind of walking through the parking lot there of this apartment complex and asks her for help and uh you know she does she is a she is a good uh samaritan she is going to help uh mr gum with this problem but that is the problem with serial killers is that they prey on people who are being too nice to them michaela You got to be careful out there. Be careful.
1: Got to be careful out there. Yep. It's very much a Ted Bundy thing. He has like a moving van and he looks like he has his arm in a sling and he's trying to move a couch and you know, she's a good person. She sees that and she is got groceries in her hand. She's ready to go feed her cat, you know? And she's like, Oh, would you like some help? And that is the worst thing. Because of course she does help him. She gets into the van, uh, with a, couch in between the two of them so she can't get away and he of course uh subdues her and is very excited by the fact that she she fits the bill right she's a plus size person he like does this i mean after he punches her i guess he, she becomes unconscious and he kind of rolls her over and you think you're about to see a really awful sexual assault luckily you don't see that you see something almost as bad though because he takes some scissors and he cuts the back of her shirt and he's all excited because He's looking at her bare skin and that is never a good sign of a (laughs) thing to happen. And so, you know, he, luckily he leaves a kind of telltale sign. So when she goes missing, they immediately know that this is a Buffalo bill victim. They know they don't have a lot of time, but they probably have some time because for whatever reason, and they don't really understand why he keeps, you know, Buffalo bill keeps these people alive for a little while before he shoots them and removes their skin. So, They're like, we don't have a lot of time, but we have a little bit of time and we really need to move on this.
0: We have we have a little bit of time. We need to move on this. And we especially need to move on this because Catherine Martin, as the daughter of a a senator or something um, like that, someone, uh, someone very important. So we definitely need to move on this. Um, And but like you said, we're getting some clues as to who Buffalo Bill is, uh, what he does, uh, what he's doing to his victims, because, you know, amongst all of kind of this stuff. Uh, happening, uh, another body washes up in the. Uh, I think it was the Ohio River. Um, they find. They go to the au- autopsy. Clarice and uh, Jack Crawford go to this autopsy in the small town. Um, it's uh, really kind of a neat scene as you have all of the local like sheriffs uh, there and they kind of kind of clear out and do this autopsy. And they're they're starting to learn a little bit of things. And one of the things that they learn is that uh, there's this uh, crazy looking little moth cocoon stuffed way down in the throats of this uh, poor girl uh, who lost her life and there was one of those same things back in that head that Clarice found in the storage unit. So it looks like these cases are connected uh and Dr. Lecter probably knows more than he's letting on. Uh but there's uh there's bad news though is that we found out that Clarice's offer to get him out of there that's no good, but Senator Martin's offer to get him out of there that one might be good.
1: That one might be good. Now Senator Martin's really mad and I don't blame her at all because you know they're basically lying to this this guy who probably knows Buffalo Bill's real name, uh, and telling him that he's gonna get to go for, you know, to a island for a week if he's a real good boy. <laughs> and, you know, she's like, My daughter's about to die. Like, this isn't cool. So, of course, Dr. Chilton has been illegally recording the conversations between uh
0: it's so smarmy, and...
1: that guy. He's so, so nasty, and he just he doesn't care. This is the part that makes that, that this is why Anthony Hell did such a great job because he does not care about finding Catherine Martin alive. All he cares about is making sure his name is in the papers and getting back somehow at Clarice because she didn't want to go out with him, uh which is gross. Um so, they, you know, they they end up transferring Dr. Lecter to this Tennessee courthouse. I, I had to look this up, I'm not gonna lie, because it looks like an opera house somehow <laughs> inside. Yep. I was like, it's it's beautiful, it's got lots of dark wood and lots of inlays. And I was like, <laughs> Where are they taking him? I'm very
0: confused. And they just have a, a random cage just set up in the middle of the room That's all right. the time. All the That's time right. in Tennessee. Yeah,
1: just just in case your run-of-the-mill cannibal serial killer uh comes uh for. I don't know, a meeting with the senator. So what happens in this exchange, though, is that you realize that um, Hannibal Lecter is really smart and he is never going to miss an opportunity to maybe try and get out in the first place. So um, he gets a hold. We don't really see how it happens, but he gets a hold of a a pen um, that Dr. Chilton had somehow. Dr. Chilton's getting all fancy. He's getting a little bit cocky, gets in front of uh Hannibal and he's like you know I'm going to go be famous and you're going to go and be in a cell for the rest of your life and whatever and he gets uh I guess somehow in that exchange Dr Lecter gets a pen that's a really bad thing because now Dr Lecter can get out and um and he does but not before one final scene right
0: yeah. And he, uh, and he does get out. Yeah. Like he said, he uh, stole that pen somehow. We don't really uh, get to see how he stole the pen, but, um, yeah they go and they make the prisoner transfer you get that very uh iconic picture of like you said that that like half hockey mask kind of muzzle sort of thing on him he's on like this uh this dolly if you are old enough to have watched the academy awards when this won all five of its academy awards billy crystal actually came out in the same thing uh when he was doing his monologue uh so that was that was pretty great i always remember that when i when i see you know kind of this section but yeah he's going to be put into this kind of makeshift prison inside of the courthouse Um, you really feel bad because the kind of security police officers uh, there seem like they're treating him with a lot of respect but you know unfortunately uh, Dr. Lecter is going to do whatever Dr. Lecter needs to do um, and that includes killing both of these guys setting one up strung up into the rafters kind of looks like an angel with all the lighting it looks insane and the other one is just laying on the floor uh, we think but bad news that's not really one of the police officers that is Dr. Lecter so when they wheel him out of there To stick him into the ambulance, Dr. Lecter is able to make his clean escape and get out of there. Uh, Yeah, bad news. Bad news for everyone, except for Dr. Lecter, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's the worst. This scene is, this is probably the biggest twist to me, because you think that Dr. Lecter has somehow been hurt, and he's at the top of this elevator shaft, and they... know try shooting him in the leg he doesn't move and you're like oh no what i mean well you're you're sort of like oh no because you you want him to get away as a as a but you also don't want him to hurt all these people and they think that they've taken the one guy whose face is a mess he looks he looks like chopped beef it's real bad um but they get him into a hospital in an ambulance and turns out that what he did was he just took the dude's face and put it on him, Dr. Lecter. And so he's the one in the ambulance and it's yeah. real gory and it's real terrifying. And once again, the score is amazing Um, because you go from that to uh, Ardelia, which is a good friend of Clarice Starling. She's like running down the hallway trying to tell uh, Clarice that that Dr. Lecter has escaped because everybody is now terrified and worried about Clarice. And Clarice takes it very seriously but she says he won't come after me i can't really explain it but he would consider that rude (laughs) which is very true i mean dr Lecter is a very strange serial killer psychopath that's for Uh,
0: sure yeah that's right they have this uh very very odd, intimate relationship, you know, even after just meeting a couple of times. And and yeah, he would think that it's rude and he, he is going to leave her alone. And before he breaks out of this makeshift prison, uh, he gives her back the case file. I um, mean, get a really kind of chilling thing where she's kind of he's reaching through the bars and uh, he kind of brushes his finger over top of hers, which is the only time that they ever uh, actually touch in the film, uh, which is which is a really neat scene. It's, it's very, very chilling uh, when you see it happen. And she's looking through the case file because he says that everything she needs is right in there. Um, it's been in there this whole time and no one's been able to figure it out. Um, but luckily, uh, for uh, everyone involved, Clarice is going to be able to figure it out. Now, Dr. Lecker is given the FBI a name. That was one of the conditions. Uh, but that name, not a real name, but it is going to send the FBI on a wild goose chase, but who has the real name? That is Clarice. She goes up to Ohio. She is, uh, talking to people. She finds, you know, one of the victims. Uh, and as it turns out, Buffalo bill, AKA Jame gum, uh, was a, uh, seamstress, tailor uh, sort of thing uh, with this girl. That's how we knew his first victim, because, you know, chances are you're going to know going to know your victims if you're a serial killer. Um, and they were they were doing some sewing. And she thinks, uh, you know, while all of these uh, all these poor victims have been having their skin flayed off, that's probably to make a woman's suit,
1: probably to make a woman's suit. And this scene where she goes back to the very first victim, her name was from Frederica Bimmel. And she does really just good detective work, right? You see her talk to her father, you see her go into the room. She finds things that are hidden in the room that nobody has seen, like things that as a girl, you know, all the secret hiding places where you're gonna have like, you know, diary letters or pictures or something like that. And she comes up with this idea um, that there's this woman's suit, which sounds really awful and you hope you never see it um but she calls jack crawford and she's very excited clarice is and jack crawford's like girl we got it we know exactly where uh this guy is we we know his name you were right his name's jamie gum and uh he's up in I, i don't know where he is he's he's in baltimore he's somewhere else he's 400 miles away from wherever uh clarice starling is and mm-hmm. they're on this big flight. They're like, we'll be there in 45 minutes. We've got his address. Um, those weird cocoon, those weird moths, uh, we can track through customs when he ordered some. So we're sure it's the guy. Uh, but thanks for your help. Uh, we got it from here. And it's it really kind of leaves you very hollow because Jack Crawford, uh, while I think he is grateful to her, he doesn't really, uh, it doesn't mean to him what it means to her to go find this person and that's mm-hmm. that's disappointing um but turns out uh jamie gum he might live he might have an address way up 400 miles away but he's actually living in a house that is uh next on clarice's list to go and talk to and that's that's where things get real real bad
0: that's right yeah and we know right away when that uh doorbell rings um it's actually a really great film editing because um as jack crawford is uh pushing the doorbell you're seeing this kind of alarm bell thing in the basement kind of ringing. Uh, so it's cutting back and forth. So you're not really sure who is at whose house, but the door opens and Clarice is standing face to face with Buffalo Bill. Only she doesn't know it yet. Uh, so they go inside and then it is tension filled, right? So you have, Uh, You have Catherine, who is down like in this dugout well in the basement. We've checked in with her a couple of times. Uh, Very creepy stuff from uh, Buffalo Bill uh, shouting out her, making her put lotion on her skin, of course, because we know what's coming for her. Um, You know, some interactions with the dog. She's, you know, doing her her best, pleading her case, trying to get out of there, uh, but to no avail. So when Clarice shows up, uh, it is tension filled uh, and it, it ultimately leads kind of with her going down to the basement. Uh, and the lights go out. Um, and just this, just this horrifying thing, and then you hear that sound, that most horrible of sound, of the night vision goggles clicking on. Ugh.
1: Yeah. So we know that Buffalo Bill has night vision. Uh, earlier in the film, when he he has these goggles and he's looking at Catherine. Uh, trying. Uh, I mean, he's looking at her movements. He definitely had picked her out earlier. Uh, before he he put together his whole moving stunt um so we know he has them but uh gosh you gotta say when you hear those i I guess again the sound editing uh is just amazing because everything goes dark um corny starling is very new right she's a she's a new fbi agent she hasn't gotten she hasn't even gotten her graduation yet right she hasn't gotten her her permanent badge but she's remembering all the things that they talk about where like check your exit make sure that you're looking at the corners closing all the doors with the gun um, she gets down into this place it is the scariest place on the planet okay the the top of the house didn't look great either when she's <laughs> top in the top is pretty front, scary too it's, it's, it's scary really too. gross she goes into the living room and there's like moths everywhere and that's when she knows she's, in, she's found him she's found him it's in the right place Ted Levine has got this weird kind of Uh, vocal cadence that is very strange he can't quite uh use consonants the same way as everybody else i don't really know if that was by design or not but it's terrifying um then she goes down in this basement there is literally like a empty well like a ring like a well from the ring without any water catherine's in it um there are fingernails of other people hanging in the walls because no one could climb out of there she's terrified and of course what is the first thing clarice say you're safe. Catherine <laughs> Martin, <laughs> you're safe.
0: <laughs> you're, you're safe. I'll be right back. Yeah. They start and yelling as, at each other. And, you're watching
1: that, uh, you're like, you're anything but safe, girlfriend. And then of course you, the lights go out. Oh Yeah, you are you the, are far
0: away from safe. Yeah. The the lights go out, the night vision goggles kick in. Um and you you see Clarice just uh uh it's it's so amazing, Jodie Foster. She looks so genuinely terrified um, in this moment, but luckily for her, Buffalo Bill has a revolver, so when that clicks back, she uh, kind of is uh, alerted to his presence. She just turns around and starts shooting. Uh, She didn't shoot enough. She should have uh, kept kept reloading the gun and shooting at him. That's probably what should have happened, but yeah. but she didn't. But luckily, you know, she's able to able able to get the drop on him. I guess even in in the dark and in the circumstances, and it's it's really pretty cool because when she shoots it shoots out one of the windows, so then this light starts streaming in. It looks uh, absolutely gorgeous, kind of this section. And Catherine is saved, uh, Clarice is saved, and able to go on. And then kind of the film wraps up then with her getting. Uh, her i don't know fbi diploma or whatever she she's finishes now a special her FBI, agent. her fbi yeah. training so yes, yeah, she gets her actual badge to be an fbi agent uh but that's not going to quite end the film uh until we get one last phone call from a fan a friend who has made it down to the bahamas because he's meeting someone for dinner
1: <laughs> yeah and that someone is dr frederick childen who has decided i guess i mean it's only been i mean i don't know how long it's been it it because dr Lecter's hair is blonde so he's had enough time to at least get a dye job i'm not sure but it's been it's not been that long and dr chilton is like i'm out i'm gonna go on vacation and he's rude (laughs) then like he's talking to people super rudely anyway um but dr dr lector calls clarice and he uh has this really great way of, of letting her know that he's gonna be looking after her but that he's uh He's not going to come for her because like you said, the world is more interesting with you in it. And it, it's as close to, I love you as I think we're going to get um, at least until the next film, uh, which was disappointing, but this uh, relationship between the two of them really kind of solidifies. Cause you know, he says, I, I really hope that you don't come looking for me. And she says, you know, I can't make that promise. And then uh, he kind of hangs up on her. And of course she's again, the music starts. She's, she's, calling his name into the phone and he is following this group of people on this very open road in the Bahamas, uh, following Dr. Chilton. And you know, that You know, Dr. Shilton's not going to just swallow his own tongue. It's going to be much worse for him.
0: (laughs) It is going to be much worse for him, for sure. And that is that is how the story ends. Uh, I guess uh, justice prevails, at least in the case of Buffalo Bill, but uh, not necessarily in the case of Dr. Uh, Hannibal Lecter. And like you said, Michaela, this uh, spawned a lot more stuff. So we had uh, Red Dragon came out, which is uh, kind of the prequel story to that. And then Hannibal and Hannibal Rising. Uh, Both came out after Um, now uh, Hannibal Rising actually was written by Thomas Harris. So this was that was the only one of those that he actually wrote. The rest were just kind of based on his work. So I thought that that was kind of interesting. And we got two television shows uh, that spawned out of this. There was a Clarice TV show, which I didn't even know about until earlier today when I was uh, looking up uh, stuff for my notes here. Uh, So that's interesting. Might have to go back and watch that. Not for sure. But something I'm definitely going to go back and watch because uh, it's something that everyone should watch. And that is Hannibal. Uh, starring mads mickelson as dr Lecter, uh it is the creepiest uh grossest thing uh you've ever seen that's been on network television i don't even know how they got it on to to be on network television uh that's pretty crazy but hannibal the tv show really good
1: it is really good i will say um it's the best thing that came out of this uh other than this film in my opinion although i haven't seen Hannibal hannibal rising i totally forgot about that um I, I'm kind of a Hannibal fan so I've watched all of these and I agree that this is the best but hey gosh that TV show it's it again not for children uh not not for kids it's a bad idea probably, probably not for
0: anyone to be honest not anyone, <laughs> right <really.
1: laughs> and if you're watching it and you're totally not grossed out or upset uh something's probably a little wrong with you and that's okay um yeah this film I mean there's so many things um let's let's get into it so when did you watch this the first time? What 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 was your reaction seeing it now? Yeah. Tell so, me all the things.
0: Yeah, so this came out in nineteen ninety one, um, early. So we would have been like nine years old when this came out. And I remember it being I don't know if it was if it was a big deal, but it made kind of a big splash because it came out right before Oscars. And then obviously it won all the Oscars. I mentioned, you know, Billy Crystal kind of coming out because he always did like that, like monologue song. And that was that was part of it, uh, you know, kind of incorporated. So it was something that I wanted to see. But my parents very rightly so said, no, <laughs> you're you're only nine. <laughs> that is a bad idea. Don't watch this. That's terrible. Um, So I don't know exactly when the first time I would have seen it. Um, It would have been on some sort of home rental, probably. When I got close, I don't know, probably like freshman-ish, sophomore-ish year of high school, maybe something like that, like 15, 16 years old, I would I would guess. I'm not 100% sure on when I saw it the first time. But um, I do know that after seeing it the first time, uh, this immediately became one of my favorite movies of all time It is gorgeous. The sound is gorgeous. The sound design is gorgeous. The way that it looks is gorgeous. And the acting is, of course, gorgeous. So it is definitely on my Halloween rotation. I watch this every year, so I've probably seen it I don't know, 25, 30 times now at this point, because literally this is one of those things. It's like a, it's like a Christmas movie. You know, we watch Muppet Christmas Carol every year, we watch a Silence of the Lambs every year uh, come Halloween time. But, but what about you? You were, you are a little looser, playing a little more fast and loose with your first time watching <laughs> uh, things that you shouldn't be watching. Dad, so. I'm
1: sorry. I'm going to out him again. We've talked a lot about uh, movies that I was probably too young to watch this month uh, because we're, we're in Halloween uh, month, but <clears throat> I definitely watched this in fourth or fifth grade. That would mean I was nine or 10 years old. And that's too young. Um, that's too young. That's too young to see this film. <laughs> um, I will say, but I, I will, I will say my dad was really cool about it because um, he let me watch all of it. And uh, I, I, I swear it was, it was one of the best lessons learned was that scene with the, where buffalo bill ends up capturing catherine martin um because i remember very vividly he looked at me and he said do not ever be polite uh to people that you don't like don't you don't you can you can walk away they that person will be okay like do not get sucked into that because that is um how bad people prey on the goodness of others it it is the most basic kind of idea that and we as women um you know, as as a woman, we're told, hey, you should dance with everybody you're asked to in the dance community. You should, um, you know, if someone makes you uncomfortable, you should give them the benefit of the doubt. Screw that. That is not true. Um, We don't have to be polite um, to anybody. We can walk away. We don't have to be rude, but we can just walk away. We don't have to deal with that just because and that and not being polite and, you know, walking away does not make us a bad person. And I think that that was one of the best lessons I ever learned. And I learned it because of this film and I learned it at nine years old. The other thing I learned was um, uh, I really probably should have been in the FBI because Clarice's job is just like the coolest thing ever. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I definitely never learned to sew after this, Um, but I watched this a lot. um, And I think it's even scarier now. I mean, last night I watched this uh, to prepare for the podcast and I literally had to turn all the lights on uh, in my house uh, and walk in every room before going to bed. That's never happened before. It certainly has never happened when I've watched a Jason film or a Freddie film or any of those slasher movies but i definitely did it this time and i've seen this film before so that is the true test i think to uh, an ultimate horror film because this is something that is real and unfortunately serial killers do exist and it still happens um and they and really depraved stuff all the time so yeah (laughs) that's where i'm at
0: yeah absolutely absolutely it's it's such a resides in like your head so psychologically and like it's one of those things that you worry about the people that that worked on the project whether they were okay and you know the people that worked on this project you know went on to have exceptional careers obviously Uh, Anthony Hopkins gets Gets the bulk of the praise for this, but uh, Jodie Foster I think is absolutely incredible in this movie. I mean, she won Best Actress, but you know it was almost like an afterthought. Like, oh well, you know, <laughs> of course uh, Anthony Hopkins is going to win, but you know, all all the rest of you you know were just there because of Anthony Hopkins. But I don't think that's true at all. And I especially you know kind of watching it more critically, I guess this week as we prepared, I'm like Jodie Foster is exceptional at playing kind of this um, you know really nuanced, really kind of courageous but young uh, you know kind of fbi wannabe agent kind of thing and just you know kind of the the fear and the emotions that she plays on especially in that last part is like like visceral she is uh fantastic and uh definitely you know you win five academy awards that's that's pretty good um but i i do think there are some snubs you mentioned uh it a couple times the music howard shore uh definitely should have at least been nominated for this uh you know uh, john williams uh, is, is the greatest he's the all-time greatest for sure uh, he got nominated for the music for jfk who knows about that no one uh, but this music no one. is is incredible howard shore you got stiffed right there um and i will yeah. say this one was a little bit more competitive but ted levine definitely needed to be nominated for uh supporting actor uh jack palance won it that year for city slickers uh but ted levine uh, okay. is amazing because <laughs> because as great as anthony hopkins and jody foster were if the character of Buffalo Bill doesn't work, this whole thing falls apart. He has to be believable enough. Um, and he was believable because I remember watching a kind of behind-the-scenes documentary. Um, And Ted Levine was talking, you know, as you know, he's acting with Brooke Smith who played Catherine Martin, who's down in this well. And he was so concerned that she was going to be traumatized and upset and afraid of him. Like, like they would yell cut and he would just profusely just start apologizing to her for all the things that he had to say and do and the position that he was in. And that kind of always stuck with me. Uh, He got snubbed for sure. Had to be.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think he is one of the most chilling he he's the one of the most chilling characters ever because and they talk about it a lot in their uh, interactions between Clarice and Dr. Lecter um you know he had been systematically abused that was that was the assertion that Dr. Lecter made he was very um He didn't really know who he was he would he'd been in a relationship the the guy who's the head the head guy and the (laughs) the person whose head we found at the self-storage he'd been in a relationship with him um and that didn't make him happy like there were there, there was so much that you could see in his face when he's having these conversations and when Catherine martin is begging to just, I just want to talk to my mom. I just want to go home. And he's crying, like he's crying, but he's also like, I have to do this um, because it's, I need to make my suit of women. And uh, I mean, he was amazing. And there's a scene that we haven't talked about where he actually is taking pictures of himself. And the scene was not actually supposed to be in the film, but it's in the book. And Ted Levine was like, we need that scene. Um, And it's, it's hard to watch because he is naked and he's kind of dancing around and he's got half the suit on him. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, If you've seen it, which we told you, you should watch this, you know what I'm talking about. But that scene is really special because it really does help you see the the humanity behind the serial killer, which I think is important. Um, He just does such a good job. And I'm really sad that he wasn't nominated i mean i think almost everybody in this film was snubbed um as a performer because they all did scott glenn was really wonderful as jack crawford and there's a whole backstory that you don't know about in the movie that happens in the book and it's it's just super well done and there's so many nuances we could talk for as long as the movie is about all the bits and pieces of this film that really make it so special um but yeah, it's it is absolutely probably my favorite horror movie. I call it a horror film because it's my it's probably the scariest movie I've ever seen and yet I still watch it and still get scared. <laughs> So,
0: yeah. Yeah, go. for sure. It, it, it never gets less scary for sure. So uh yeah. So if you've never seen Silence of the Lambs and if you have listened to us this uh, this far in, you've definitely seen it, I'm I'm assuming. But if you haven't watched it uh, this year or recently, uh go back and give it a rewatch because it is just as amazing as it ever has been. So I uh, definitely do that. And while you're watching it, make yourself up a Hello Clarice because it's delicious and it is uh, really pretty and it definitely kind of plays on those tones, uh, uses that Chianti just like Dr. Lecker did. So if you mix one of those up, send us a picture. We want to see it. Uh, and take a look at pictures of ours you can do that on our Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. If you want to see uh episode recaps, pictures of ours, you know, videos of ours, all that stuff, information about the new Patreon, you can do that on our website, which is www.DrinkTheMovies.com and patreon.com slash drink the movies. Uh so we appreciate everyone that goes and checks that out. And we appreciate everyone who has been along with us for a hundred episodes now, Michaela, a hundred times. We've mixed up a cocktail and talked about a movie. Uh, thank you to everyone who has joined us, you know, for one episode or all a hundred episodes.
1: That's right. I'm very, I'm very humbled actually that we did this. I know, I don't know, ten years ago when someone was like, "You should make a podcast about movies," and I was like, "No one wants to listen to me talk about movies and waffle on about stuff that I is in my head." Um, and I'm so glad that that you've been with me on this journey, Brian. Oh. <laughs> You've been amazing. I'll, just so everybody knows, and I know I I will say this till my death, but Brian does all the things. I just kind of show up. Um, so the backbone of this whole thing is, uh, and will continue to be Brian. And we could not do this without without you. So I'm so grateful. It's it, it truly is a dream come true for me. I'm not going to get emotional, but 100 episodes in and you're still willing to do it. And I'm just <laughs> so grateful. And we've had the best week ever of listenership. I don't know what is going on in the world, but it it truly is. Uh, it, it's a great this is this is the best job ever.
0: Yeah, so for sure. Thanks. Thank, yeah. <laughs> thanks, thank you, everyone. everyone. Thank, thank you so much for those kind words. And thank you, everyone who uh, goes by their favorite podcast player and leaves us a review, Michaela, where should they be doing that?
1: You should be doing that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, New Pods, Good Pods, Stitcher, Patreon, all the things.
0: <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever pods. Yeah, just wherever you can find us on your podcast player. Uh, go there, subscribe. And if you can leave us a review, please do that because it helps yep. get Drink the Movies out there. Uh, somehow, I don't, I don't know the science behind it, but it does seem to help. So definitely... I uh, appreciate anyone who takes the time to do that. And again, yes, thank you for joining us for these last hundred episodes. Here is a cheers to a hundred more um, and to some more good movies. So um, Michaela, you know, we've talked about a lot of scary movies. Now, what I need to do is I need to go find a happy place, have some joy, have some sunshine, uh, eat some of the Halloween candy and finish up my Hello Clarice. And we're going to have to uh, go and find ourselves some sort of apple uh, you know, because how about them apples and how about goodwill Hunting? So we're going to do that and we will talk to everyone next time on Drink, Drink the, the movies. movies!
1: Dr. Lecter. <laughs> Dr. Lecter. 100 episodes. You're still not tired of me trying to uh, say a line at the end of every show? <laughs>
0: that's, that's true. 100 times. 100 more. 100
1: times. <laughs> at least 100 more. At least.